Welcome to A Long Time in Finance, the podcast that takes a sharp and sometimes acerbic look at the often absurd world of money through the eyes of two journalists who've, well, spent quite a long time in finance. That's me, Jonathan Ford, and him, Neil Collins. Welcome back to A Long Time in Finance, and today we're going to talk about a, a long-running saga, which started back in the tragic uh, event in June 2017, a fire at the Grenfell Tower. Do you remember that, Neil? Certainly do, yes. It was, it was a shocking, absolutely appalling uh, uh, conflagration, which was um, has really changed the way people look at uh, flats. Yeah, well it, yeah, and it was the worst. It was the worst accident I think since the Piper Alpha oil rig disaster in 1988 killed 72 people. And the reason why we're still talking about it now is that subsequent investigations threw up the fact that the fire had, you know, the fire took place because of the cladding that had been put on the side of the building. And as the investigators went and looked at the state of high-rise flats in Britain, they found a whole host of problems. Shoddy construction, dangerous cladding, poor regulation, which had been taking place over decades, which meant that this problem, which was initially just one flat, mushroomed into an enormous thing where, I I don't know, some people talk about it being more than a million dwellings have been affected. Um, People have lost safety certification on their homes, so they can't mortgage them, so they can't sell. And insurance costs have gone through the roof. It's a complete mess. The last five years we spent arguing over who should pay for all this, this huge bill that people think runs into billions. And last month, the housing minister, Michael Gove, announced a plan to try and resolve the problem and stick the costs on the construction and cladding companies. The builders have said that they'll pay at least something to fix the problem. Now, we're joined, I'm very pleased to say, by Liam Spender, who is an affected leaseholder, a lawyer and a campaigner through an organisation called the Leasehold Knowledge Partnership, which has been struggling to, over a number of years, to help the owners of high-rise flats avoid being saddled with the huge costs of repairing all these flaws in their buildings. So, Liam, welcome. Great pleasure. Is this a victory, finally, for the flat owners after so many years? Hello, thank you for having me. I wouldn't declare it's a victory just yet. I think there's there's some distance still to travel. But if we look at where we are now versus where we were uh, even a few months ago, I think we're significantly closer to a victory for leaseholders. That's 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 great. Just 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 explain to us why are leaseholders even on the hook to pay for these bills? Because if you think about it, they weren't really responsible for the cladding that was put on their buildings or the safety features that weren't included. Um, they were effectively sold shoddy goods by by the builders who built the flats. So so why are they even in the frame to pick up the bill? Quite right. Intuitively, it's very difficult to understand why a consumer could ever be responsible for anything to do with the way a product has been built. And the reason leaseholders have been responsible is because leases of residential property transfer all the maintenance costs and obligations uh, onto people living in these buildings. And unfortunately, legally, uh, 
costs of fixing construction defects are regarded the same way as maintenance costs. So that's why they've had to pay. The leasehold really is a sort of um, feudal system, isn't it? <laughs> Which has far outlived its usefulness if ever had one. It is outrageous that uh, these uh, leases revert to the freeholder um, with the the obligation to keep the thing up all falling on the leaseholder. I'm amazed that we still allow them to go on. I, I quite agree. I mean, we're uh, an anachronism. Uh, the rest of the world has long since moved on to accept the idea that these buildings should be owned by the people who live in them and there should be no third party freeholder. Um, uh, I think what's happened since Grenfell may, thankfully, finally, uh, we hope and pray, be the death, the death knell for leasehold in England. That that's a good way. I'm delighted to hear that. Of course, it doesn't solve the current problem because even if you are the uh, owners, if, if the leaseholders own the block, there's still a pretty substantial obligation that they've got to find if it's discovered that it's uh, it's defective. Quite so. So that's why we're still in need of a, a, a legal as well as a, a financial and a political solution to the to the crisis. Well, that brings us on to the the Gove plan, the scheme to try and resolve. Because we had a whole years of uh, housing ministers sort of trying to come up with schemes where leaseholders could borrow money, could do this, could do that, to avoid the idea that the problem should be, if you like return to the to where it came from but Gove's tried to I think has tried to do something about that and uh and do you think he succeeded I mean who do you think will do you think he will do you, do you think the leaseholders who will end up paying for all of this because how big is the problem it's about 10 billion quid isn't it yes the uh commons housing select committee put a 15 billion pound price tag on the problem not so long ago, but I don't think anyone actually knows what the actual cost is because there's never been an inventory of these buildings taken and they've never been sorted into what, which of them are most at risk, which need most money spending on them. So it's all finger in the air stuff. But I, I think uh, Michael Gove's appointment has resulted in a sea change and he's in the process of making sure that leaseholders don't pay. But I, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, I, I think there's still a prospect that leaseholders will have to pay something, perhaps not the horrific amounts we hear about, the six-figure bills, but certainly something. That's the way it seems to be heading. So can you just explain to us a little bit about how you think this might work? How does how how will the bill be shared out? Because I mean the, the housing companies, the house builders' position was always, well, we've we're not responsible. We built them, you know, years and years ago. That they we you had whatever it was, five seven years to claim. There was no claim. We thought it was all fine. It had all been approved. I mean, how do you how do you reach back into the past? and get these guys to actually cough up? And, and do you think they, they will? Well, I, I mean, the starting point is that le the legal system's not fit for purpose. So you, you typically have six years to claim, but the six years runs from the, the date the building is completed, whether or not you know there's a problem with it. So that's, that's why a lot of people have found themselves trapped in, in this crisis. And in terms of the way out, the government's 
pursuing two two routes simultaneously. Uh, you might call them the high road and the low road. So the low road is they're trying to beat up developers, cladding manufacturers, construction product manufacturers to get them to pay up to four billion pounds and to take responsibility as a moral issue. Uh, the high road is they're proposing to change the law, um, although the developers also call that the low road, to uh, introduce new legal routes to potentially getting developers, cladding manufacturers and building product manufacturers to pay up. And that's backed with the prospect that they may be blocked from future planning permission and building control approval if they don't uh, play ball with the, the government's low road demands. Yeah, I have a serious problem with that. I mean, the, uh, the thing that the house builders in particular fear is being, uh, being penalised for trying to do the right thing. If they're fixing the ones that they're responsible for, it seems extremely unreasonable to me that they should have a further hit for the ones that they're not responsible for, which have been built and the owners have disappeared to the Cayman Islands or beyond the uh, jurisdiction of Mr. Gove, however draconian he draws his new law. Uh, the other point I think is worth making is, is the uh, threat to ban uh, a bona fide building company from, allow, from building uh, a reasonable uh, thing to do. And I suspect a judicial review might say that it's unreasonable and you're being... It depends whether you pass uh, a law. Particularly, you're being particularly uh, uh, vicious to, uh, as I say, people who may be trying to do the right thing uh, and are just drawing a line under their own involvement. And I, I take that view on board. Um, I, I'm not sure I'd characterise what the developers have done to date as approaching the right thing. I think they've run for the hills uh, and generally tried to avoid the problem. So it's it's welcome that they seem to be engaging with the the government's approach. I have some sympathy with the view that uh, heavy-handed threats of this nature are not not things the government should be doing. But ultimately, Jonathan is right. If Parliament wants to pass a law that says there will be restrictions placed on planning permission and building control approval based on uh, customer satisfaction or the way that build quality in previous buildings, which is more or less what the government's proposing, then that that's a public policy decision. It's 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 not something for the for the courts to interfere with. So I I, I think they've probably got a fair win behind them, in in yeah. terms of getting that law to stand up. But you're also you're also dealing here with 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 a you know a balance or whatever of, of evils. I mean, Neil's touching concern for the house builders and them not being stiff with bills that they didn't you know they, they for buildings that they didn't build which is it has to be weighed against the fact that if they don't pay it it falls on a lot of people who don't have any money who basically have to pick up the bill because it seemed unfair to saddle the industry with a share of it i fear i know where the bill is going to end up <laughs> i don't that? think it's hard to see it's think going it's to, to come to the taxpayer as usual, uh, because they'll be the, the the government will be pressurised into sparing the leaseholders this rather unfortunate 
uh, in post. I think they'll have to make some contribution, but the bulk of it will fall on the taxpayers, partly because you can't treat one set of, uh, of landlords or uh, builders one way because you can find them and not the others because you can't. Yeah. Uh, whatever the law says, I don't think that that would pass a judicial review as a piece of legislation which is uh, reasonable and and, and uh, should stand. Well, time time will tell if we if we do get to the point where where these laws are passed and and what the courts make of them. I mean, um, ideally the. Uh, the bill would would fall exclusively on the on the people who are responsible. Uh, I think the issue is is they're in some cases long gone and have, have insulated themselves from the the issue too well to be pursued now. And anyway, you cut this. There is an argument for a substantial taxpayer contribution because these regulations and the failure to oversee how they were implemented. Uh, is in large part a, a cause of the problem. So normally when the state fails, as it has here, the, the taxpayer unfortunately has to step in. Liam, it'd just be helpful. I mean, I seem to remember when I looked at this, there's a kind of totally bizarre situation where the local authority was responsible for, for regulating building safety, and which they kind of failed to do in this case. They sort of almost handed it over to the constructors to certify that their stuff was okay but when people looked at it they realized that the house builders said well the local authority passed the regulation but when the leaseholder turned and said well what can I do about the local authority not doing its job properly they found that there is no possibility of making a claim against a public authority for something which involves purely economic loss due to some so that it's a complete kind of there's no way out Yes, correct. They live a charmed life. So the the system depends entirely on builders doing the right thing, uh, informing judgments about these regulations because they're outcome based rather than prescriptive. So it's all a question of judgment as to how they're complied with. And the, the system of inspection for overseeing those judgments was privatized by the the Building Act 1984. So you had a choice as to whether to use the local authority or a private inspector called an approved inspector. But either way, um, uh, whether you use the local authority inspector or the approved inspector, the House of Lords decided, I think, in 1990, uh, the cases Murphy and Brentwood District Council, that those inspectors uh, didn't owe any duty to prevent you from uh, suffering economic loss, loss measured only in terms of money. So if you're injured or killed, you may have a claim against the inspector if the injury or death results from negligence, but not if it costs you money, which is nonsensical. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's another contributory factor to, to, the, to, the, to, to the problem is that some people are immune from prosecution, for want of a better way of describing it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a very interesting point. Um, have you had building work done yourself? Uh, I was like, no, we we haven't started I, I, it's yet. It's not a trick question. Um, it is uh, uh, the point that a lot of this the building regs are quite hard to interpret and need a considerable amount of flexibility on the part of the surveyor who is doing it. 
otherwise you find yourself doing things which are there because the regs insist, but actually are a complete nonsense and may make things worse. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think that's 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 a, uh, um, it's it, the the regulations were terrible. There's there's no way around that, and they they uh, such as they were, they weren't enforced properly. The evidence from the Grenfell Tower inquiry is that everybody involved, government inspectors, product certification uh, labs, um, builders, were all turning a blind eye to the obvious, which is things that were going on buildings that shouldn't have gone on buildings we're going on buildings anyway uh, and that's that, that that that's 30 or 40 years of of mess that's been dumped on leaseholders to sort out just to come back to the money side of the whole thing and get away from Colin's construction for a second and, <laughs> and uh, no, I didn't realize you I didn't realize you're in the building trade <laughs> well house builders they're marvelous people Indeed, you can read almost everything I've ever written about them, and it's um, pretty uh, offensive, I think. So let's put the record straight. There. Okay, all right. But so, so the, the the watchword of 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 a lot of people like you, Liam, and people who've looked at this is that the leaseholders shouldn't have the bill dumped on them for effectively shoddy goods they were supplied with. Do you think they are going to end up having to pay anything, or do you think that at the end of the day? They will successfully pass the bill to somebody, whether it's the housing, uh, household, house builders, or, or indeed the taxpayer or the cladding companies or whatever. The government's solution is that they should be the payer of last resort as, as opposed to the payer of first resort, which is the case at, at present, and that they may have to pay uh, up to £15,000 if they live in London or £10,000 outside of London, depending on how much they're properties worth it could go up to a hundred thousand pounds for va- valuable properties in london so the government's solution is that the the leaseholders pay something a as a, a cap as a last resort whether we actually right. get there depends on how successful they are at persuading developers cladding manufacturers and construction product manufacturers and others to to cough up um but i mean certainly leaseholders as i say are consumers if if you buy something and it doesn't work um you expect to have it replaced at no cost to you i don't understand why the principle's any difference in relation to housing <laughs> i'll tell you why it's because the sums are so large uh, and it's so widespread you're talking about 10 or 15 billion pounds this is not just a rounding error in uh, the public accounts. This is a serious amount of money. So understandably, the government is trying to cast around to find somebody else to blame. Uh, and a lot of the people who are clearly to blame are no longer on the scene because they've sold their interest and they've gone to the Cayman Islands uh, and can't be found. What about the leaseholders who've already paid up? Because, you know, uh, Neil mentioned the house builders who've done a bit of repair work for some of their customers, but also a few leaseholders, more than a few leaseholders, have been served with these bills by the freeholder and told you've got to pay £50,000 or whatever by next Thursday. What happens to them? Do they get any money back under this scheme? Do they get to to go back down to the cap or are they kind of stuffed? Well, that's that's where the caps turn into funny money. Um, they're only really going to be of use if you haven't started or haven't got a long way down uh, 
the road of any particular remediation project. There's no automatic refund mechanism if you've you've already paid, unless you can avail yourself of one of the new claims the government says it will introduce or one of the extended limitation periods. So they're extending the period for bringing a claim from six years to 30, but you still have all the attendant cost and time risk of having to litigate a against a potentially very well-resourced developer. So unless there's a statutory compensation scheme, it looks very unfortunately as if those people who who've already paid or it's a first mover disadvantage and they won't get their money back. Oh dear. It's pretty depressing, really, the whole picture, which is, I fear, why, uh, as so often, the bulk of this uh, payment will be made by the taxpayer. Uh, and from what you're saying, it's probably the least worst solution, uh, given the uh, other parties involved. I think that's fair. Last, last, last point from me though is um, is just on the question of you know reform because clearly this whole exercise has shown up all sorts of bad behaviour by the cladding companies, poor practice by the builders. Are we actually going to reform it, or are we just going to end up in the same place in twenty years' time, having another argument over who should pay for the next wave of poor? Well, I, I fear uh, that the next crisis is just around the corner. So the solution that's being developed through legis legislation called the Building Safety Bill is an extravagant sticking plaster uh, fighting the last war, uh, preventing another Grenfell from happening. It does nothing to improve consumer rights or require builders to carry compulsory insurance uh, to prevent this from happening again and in large part the building regulations are only being improved for a particular category of buildings which is those uh, taller than 18 meters uh, so buildings under that height will continue to be built under something that looks largely like the same system so I, I think we're the approach the solution that's being offered is perhaps a bit too short-sighted uh, but perhaps the best is the enemy of the good yeah, well, I'm going to turn to you, Neil, for a word of hope after this. <laughs> this sad. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I suspect that, um, as I say, the taxpayer will pay, uh, the sticking plaster will be applied, uh, and I suspect that it was really such a freak occurrence that uh, it won't happen again any more than Ronan Point a very long time ago was in turned out to be a combination of unfortunate factors which have never recurred. Uh, so on that note, you can hope that there won't at least be another one. Yeah, L Liam, thanks, thanks very much. It's been great to uh, talk to you about this. Well, thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. That was a long time in finance with Neil Collins and Jonathan Ford. The words were by us and the podcast was edited by Teddy Phillips. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to the series on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week on Friday morning with another edition. See you then.